listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. There is an epic cosmic battle that predates our created world. It predates even our very first parents, Adam and Eve. There was one of the angels, one of the lead angels, the angel of light. His name was Lucifer. And he attempted to usurp God's glory and God's power. He wanted the glory for himself. He looked at God the Father and he said, I want to be in the place where you are. And God the Father, rightly so, smacked him down. In that process, Lucifer took about a third of the angels with him and then went to the created beings. By this point, we have Adam and Eve on the scene. And so Adam and Eve were tempted by Lucifer, who we then then call Satan or the deceiver or the tempter or the devil. He goes to them and deceives them. We have Genesis chapter 3. So we begin with Genesis 1 and 2. Adam and Eve are created by Genesis chapter 3. They are fallen. They have fallen from God's grace, from that relationship with God because of the work of the devil, because of the work of the evil one. And as a result of Adam and Eve giving way to the ways of the devil, now we are all born into this cosmic battle. We are all a part of it, whether you like it or not. And we've seen thus far in the book of Luke where Luke has talked about how we are engaging with this battle, how it affects every single part of our lives. We can't get away from it, though we often don't give it much consideration. We saw in Luke chapter 4, where there are those who, are, who have uh, lots of demons inside of them. Jesus comes through and he casts them out. Jesus heals those who are afflicted by demons. We get to Luke chapter 8, we see a woman named Mary Magdalene. She had seven demons living inside of her, and Jesus heals her. He cleanses her. We saw then a couple of chapters ago in chapter 9 where there's a boy who's having seizures because he is demon-possessed. So we see already how this, this uh, cosmic battle has humanity right in its crosshairs. So as we step into this story today here, we just finished the Lord's Prayer last week. As we step into this battleground in chapter 11 of Luke's Gospel I want us to be reminded that this is very real, not just for what happened a couple of thousand years ago, but even today in 2022. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, but that, it doesn't look the exact same way. And maybe it doesn't. But we're going to see here in verse number 14, we begin. We have a mute man. We just read this, Luke, 4, uh, Luke 11, 14. Luke says, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. And the people marveled. Now, we don't know how long this guy had been mute. We don't really know exactly how his interaction was with the demon. But here's what we do know, is that the spiritual battle manifests itself in physical ways. And so, for many folks, we can say, well, here's a physical issue. Let's figure out a physical solution. And in a lot of instances, that really works. A couple of days ago, I had a headache. So I didn't uh, go and try to be exercised of a demon because I had a headache. I said, let me start with some Motrin. And guess what? It mostly worked. But sometimes the spiritual battle does manifest itself in physical ways. And we see the reality of that here. We are two parts 
We're at least two parts. This is what we call a, a, a dichotomy. We are both body, the physical that we can see, and we are the soul, that which we cannot see, but we know that it is a reality. So we see this mute man here. Now, before some of you were like, yeah, maybe it was just a physical condition and he should have tried some Motrin or something else first. Remember who is writing this. And Luke, what was his profession? He was a, a doctor, right? And so this is from the doctor's perspective. He says, there's no physical solution to this. It needed a spiritual solution. And we know that Jesus steps in. He says, I want you to be gone. So even in this very first verse, we see that Satan and demons are real. Now, most prominently, we know they show up in false religions, in false prophets, in false powers. But can I just tell you for a minute, and I don't want to get sunken down here in this point, but angels and demons are very real, and we see them all around us, maybe even more than we realize. But people ask me often, what about in America? Where do we see demonic activity around us? And I would say, by and large, for the most part, there's not a whole lot of reason for demons to be incredibly active among us. It's not like we're really pursuing the kingdom of God. But I will tell you this. When I used to live in Africa several years ago, every single night we, would, uh, we had this outhouse shower building that we would have to go get some water out of the, out of the well. We'd pump up the water, take a, about a two-gallon bucket of water up about a quarter of a mile, dump it into a pot over a fire, and heat the water up. Then you put it into another pot where you'd, you'd pull it up, and we had a spigot on the side of this, and you had about two gallons of water to take a shower with. Now, my boys would be sunk. It takes them, you know, two gallons before they even get in the shower. But you had about two gallons of, of warm water. And every single night, I would take a shower around dusk, and that's about the time that the villages around us would begin calling up demons to an habit their bodies. You're like, that's wild, man. I know. This is in the late 90s. We were 12 hours away from any electricity. We were eight hours away from a paved road. This is the boonies. This is what we call the bush of Africa. So we, would, uh, we found out from our translator, I asked him one day, I said, John, his name is John Lonya. He spoke English a little bit. He spoke mostly Karamajong. I said, John, what are these folks doing at night? I hear them start hooping and hollering. And he said, oh, they're, they're calling up. He said, they're calling up demons. That's what he said. But he said, they are calling up demons uh, to inhabit their bodies because they have nothing else better to do. And this is just what they've done forever. I said, yeah, but is there really any proof of that? And John, he grew up there in Karamoja, uh, but he became saved later in life. He said, absolutely. And we were just new to Africa, right? I'm just a middle school little punk kid. I'm, you know, my eyes are this big around. I'm like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah. He said, even my mom, uh, she was shot by my dad. When he called up a demon, he got his AK-47. They had gotten from Idi Amin back in the 60s, and he shot her and killed her because he was inhabited by a demon. And we had a medical clinic there, and often we had these kids or these adults who would come in, and they had just jumped in the fire for no apparent reason. But the folks who were around them said, oh, yeah, they were inhabited by a demon. John even told me, he said, I saw folks who were thrown from one side of the village to the other in the air, 30 and 40 yards in the air. He said, we saw demonic activity all the time. When I was in China, a few years after that, I remember walking into a Buddhist temple there in Beijing. I remember walking in, and it was, you know, really pretty, forbidden city. Uh, it was beautiful from the outside. But I remember walking in, and once we got into the place where they had all of these huge golden statues, these false gods all around inside of this temple, 
And you see all of these mothers and kids and fathers and grandparents bowing down to every single one of these idols. I'll never forget the weight that I felt. And I felt like I walked out of there just like this. We walked out to one of the other guys who was with me. I said, you can just feel the demonic power that's here. And I'll never get that sense, that feeling out of my mind. Even now, when I, when I think back to that, you just find those places. And we were traveling one time. We were traveling through Arkansas. We were on our way to Missouri, me and my wife. And we stopped in this, in this town. I'm not going to tell you what town it was in case you're from there. But I remember I went out and got some pizza, and I came back. And she and I said, what's wrong? I said, it just, there just feels like a dark force here. And I was scared to death. I, I think back even in the past couple of weeks, some conversations I've had with folks in our body and just some things that have happened. I don't want us to say, oh man, I just, you know, I'm struggling with what I'm looking at online. Let me just see if I can get better at that. Let me just see if I can do a little bit better. Let me just see if I can get myself out of this funk, out of this depression. Let me see, just see if I can stop drinking so much. I had to preach a funeral for a guy yesterday who was a year younger than me, and he died from drinking too much alcohol, from organ failure because he drank himself to death. And I think, man, I, and I spoke with his ex-wife, and I was just like, it, it seemed like he could not get over this. And she said, yeah, he's been hearing voices and seeing things for years. He just can't get over it. And so I wonder in the midst of our depression, in the midst of our alcoholism, in the midst of our pornography, if we don't see even there the fingerprints of demonic activity. Because when we see what they do, the forces of evil, what their goal is, we can look at our lives and say, man, this is a very demonic path that our minds often find themselves on, that our fingers often find themselves on that our feet are often walking toward. And so, friends, I would compel you to consider where we are in this cosmic battle. And even as we read this first verse here, Satan and demons are very real. Their goal is, first of all, to destroy. We know the evil one comes to kill and steal and to destroy that which God has given us, which is life, which is his identity in us. They afflict they abuse, they torment, they torture. Secondly, we know that the demons are meant to tempt us, to lead us astray from the truth, that which we know is right. I talked about this a few minutes ago, but, but the third thing that demons do is they accuse us. They do not want us to find joy in our salvation. They don't point us to what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, but they point us away from, does God really love you? Is the grace of God really enough for this, for fill in the blank, even for you? The last things that, thing that demons do is they deceive us. We know in John chapter 8 and verse 44, he says that Satan is the father of lies. And maybe this morning you're thinking, yeah, and, and I understand that, but I know enough good theology where I'm not going to give myself into that. In 1973, uh, there was a bank heist, and maybe you've heard the term Stockholm Syndrome. Anybody heard that? And maybe you don't know where that came from. I had to watch a documentary on this to find it out. But in 1973, there was a bank heist in Stockholm, Sweden, and uh, for five days, there were uh, captives there. They, they broke into this bank, and they kept these hostages for five days. Well, at the end of the five days, most of them were released, and they were interviewed by law enforcement. 
And what was interesting was, and psychologists and sociologists began studying these hostages because at the end of that five days, you'd have thought they would have said, man, I can't stand these guys. I can't stand my captors. I can't stand the guys who broke in and put my life at risk. You know what they did? Those five hostages, they made excuses for those guys. They began believing the lies of their captors. And they said, man, this is, this is wild. But here's even, not even biblical counseling figured this out. This was just sociology, psychology. What they figured out is they began, even after those five days of being tortured, of hearing those lies, they were like, maybe these guys should deserve all that money. Maybe it is right for me to be a hostage. And so I think for most of us, we're like this mute man here. And even if we're not possessed by demons, which praise God, if you were in Christ, you are not and cannot be possessed by a demon. But maybe if you're finding yourself oppressed with lies or accusations or temptation, where you're just like, man, I cannot seem to overcome this. You know what the good news of verse number 14 is? Is that Jesus shows up and he is victorious over the evil realm. He is victorious when he casts out demons. When Jesus shows up, demons have to flee. So I would this morning plead with you to look to Jesus. I can't diagnose every single issue as demonic or not. I'm not going to start chasing demons But I would say to look to Jesus, wherever you are this morning, whatever you're struggling with, if it is demonic, look to Jesus. Now, that's just the first verse. So we've got to hustle if we're going to make it to Shoney's before the other folks. We get to verse number 15. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Now, Beelzebul literally means the lord of the flies. Uh, It's a Canaanite god. He was one of the commanders in Satan's army. So in other words, the folks are saying, oh, well, he's got some sort of power that he's using here. It must be a, a demonic power. So listen to this. By linking Jesus' power to the demonic realm, the crowd is seeking to describe and define and discredit what they could not deny. By linking Jesus' power to the demonic realm, The crowd is seeking to discredit what they cannot deny. We keep going, verse number 16. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Now notice we'll get to the main uh, crux of this in just a moment. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided house falls. Now what we don't see here is the sarcasm of Jesus. Because essentially, uh, what Jesus is saying is, why, why, would I want, why, why would I want Satan's kingdom to fall if I am from Satan? That's what he's saying. Keep going. Verse number 18. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. In other words, why would Satan want his own kingdom to fail? That's what Jesus is saying. He says, you're, you're saying that I'm from Beelzebul. And I'm casting out the demons of Beelzebul. He says, man, just just consider what you're saying for a second. That doesn't make any sense. I'm from a different kingdom. I'm from a different cosmic power, not the one of this world. Verse 19, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons, in other words, your followers, cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. 
But then we get to verse number 20. And, and so we have Jesus like sarcastically saying, what? that doesn't even make sense, guys. What, what are you saying about yourself? Verse number 20, notice, here's what Jesus is saying about his power. Verse 20, but it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. But if it is by the finger of God, now think back to where we may have heard that already in the text. You see it actually in Exodus chapter 8 for the first time. We see the finger of God. We see it in the middle of the 10 plagues when Moses is calling down these plagues on Egypt to, to secure their freedom. The first couple of plagues, Pharaoh's magicians, they can mimic those plagues. And so they're like, ah, oh, not a big deal. But then we get to the plague of gnats. And you see in Exodus chapter 8, I think it's verse number 19, uh, the, even the magicians say, we can't do this. This must be the finger of God. We see it again a few chapters later in chapter 31 of Exodus. We know that Moses comes down off of Mount Sinai with these two tablets, the Ten Commandments. And he says, these were written by the very finger of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, this must be supernatural. Me casting out these demons, it must be by God's power. There's no other explanation for this. But notice what else he says in this verse. If it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, Christ leads to the kingdom and power of God. He's not saying, hey, the kingdom of God is here with these buildings, the way, we, the way we would normally describe a kingdom. He's saying the kingdom of God is here in a person, and that person's name is Jesus Christ, and that kingdom is me. I am here. I am here by the power of God as the presence of God. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way into the kingdom. I am the only way. I am the only door. Every other door leads to destruction, but the kingdom of God is here. And the kingdom of God does not bring death, but it brings life. It brings reviving. It brings joy. It brings hope. It brings satisfaction. The kingdom of God brings forgiveness. The kingdom of God does not bring binding like the kingdom of Satan. But the kingdom of God brings freedom. And that freedom is in Christ alone. Again, I would plead with you. Look to Christ. It's in him that we find freedom. Run to Christ. The door is wide open. He made it possible on the cross. Charles Spurgeon said this. This quote will be up on the screen. You may, always, you may be always sure that that which comes from the devil will make you look at yourselves and not at Christ. The Holy Spirit's work is to turn our eyes from ourselves to Jesus Christ. But the enemy's work is the very opposite. Nine out of ten of the insinuations of the devil have to do with ourselves. You are guilty, says the devil. That is self. You have not faith. That is self. You do not repent enough. That is self. You have got such a wavering hold of Christ. That is self. You have none of the joy of the Spirit and therefore cannot be one of his. That is self. Thus, the devil begins picking holes in us, whereas the Holy Spirit takes self entirely away and tells us that we are nothing at all, but that Jesus Christ is all in all. 
Satan brings the carcass of self and pulls it out. And because that is corrupt, tells us that, we most, that most assuredly we cannot be saved. But remember, dear sinner, it is not thy hold of Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. Amen. Dear sinner, run to Christ. Lay a hold of Christ. It is his kingdom and he is here. We can keep going in verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. So Jesus explains this even further with a parable. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. He, let me put this maybe in slightly modern day, maybe not this quite modern, but modern day terms for you, okay? So as, as we uh, describe what Jesus is saying here in this parable. In other words, Jesus is saying, we live on a battlefield. He's saying, okay, now that we understand there's these two cosmic forces, we understand the different kings, we understand the different kingdoms, I want you to know that we live in the midst of a battlefield. Many of us, we take and we go and we buy guns, and maybe you even buy like a military vest, or you go and you take classes on Krog McGraw or Kung Fu or whatever else, so you can understand how if somebody has a gun right here, you can take it and you can flip it around. You understand all those, but here's the difficulty, is that when Satan shows up, he's not worried about your little guns, no matter how many you have in the safe. He's not worried about your vest. He's not worried about uh, your Kung Fu skills, because when Satan shows up, he shows up with tanks. He shows up with Black Hawk helicopters. And he shows up with rocket launchers. Spiritually speaking, we cannot defeat the enemy with morality, with religion, by self-righteousness, with self-justification. We cannot defeat him. It is demonic deception to think that we can have spirituality without Jesus. That is a demonic deception. You need to be delivered. You need someone to live for you. You need someone to redeem you. And Jesus says here, the stronger man is me. He says, you are under the hold of the stronger man. His name is Satan. He says, but I am the stronger man who comes in. And because of my life, my death, my resurrection, you can find life. You can find redemption. You can find forgiveness. We see his strength on display here. Jesus is the stronger man who is trouncing Satan in his stronghold as he casts out demons. Put your faith in Jesus and in him alone. He is the stronger man, even in the midst of what you think is strong this morning. He, Satan does not care how many churches we plant. He doesn't care how many buildings we build. He doesn't care how many times you're here every single year. He doesn't care how much money you give. He doesn't care how good you look on the outside. If our buildings and our homes and our lives are filled with lukewarm hearts, the devil does not care. Verse 23. This is the capstone of this passage. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. You see, Jesus here makes two groups. He says, don't imagine for a moment that you are Switzerland in this cosmic war. 
There, there's no middle ground. None of us are a spiritual orphan. There's no spiritual neutrality. There's no spiritual no man's land. There's no spiritual vacuum. There's no split loyalty. The default of the human heart is in being a captive of the devil. You're either for me or you are against me. It doesn't matter how wise you are, how beautiful you are, or how wealthy you are. Your soul is in desperate need of being rescued by a loving Savior from the grip of the enemy, from spiritual ruin. So run to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Place your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus. And he says here, the one who is with me is the one who's going to be gathering. So as we live in this battlefield, as we live in the midst of this cosmic war, he says, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. But we're going into the darkness, calling other sinners into light. He says, so don't just stay on the defensive and, and go huddle up and like, oh man, look at all those bad folks over there. No, he says, go in the midst of this battle and call other sinners to life. Is that how your life is characterized? Is by being on mission for God? Is by being on mission with God? Or do you just say, man, I've got the Holy Spirit. Well, praise him. Guess what the Holy Spirit's role is? It's empowering you to step into the kingdom of light. And when we're stepping into the kingdom of light, we have no other response but to call others alongside of us. That's what Jesus says right here. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either scattering those and saying, yeah, they, we don't really see any evidence of Jesus in your life, or you're gathering those to him who he has called to himself. Verse 24, then we, we get to this other, uh, not necessarily a parable, but an analogy of what's going on here. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, so he's cast the spirit out of this mute man. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. In other words, desert places. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Here's the picture that Jesus is painting for us. He says there's an unguarded house. So let's imagine you're an unguarded house in the middle of this battle, and an enemy soldier comes into your house. And he says, hey, can I, can I have a place to sleep? Can I take up residence on your couch? And you're like, I don't really feel great about this, but it seems okay. I mean, you got into my house pretty easily. It was unguarded. My door was unlocked. My windows are open. So what am I going to say now? So the soldier takes up camp on, on your couch. And before long, the soldier begins eating the food that's in your fridge. Before long, the soldier begins to say, you know what? I want to sleep in your bed. Let's switch spots. I want to sleep in your bed. I want to watch, I want to watch what I want to watch on your streaming services on your TV in the living room. I want to eat, continue to eat the food and make sure it's stocked. And I want to play with your dog. And I want to drink your single origin coffee. And I want to drink your craft beer. And I want to do all the things to make myself feel at home. Well, eventually you get tired of this, right? You're like, bro, what are you doing? This is my house. So you kick the enemy soldier out. Here's what Jesus is saying. You can kick that enemy soldier out, 
But if your house is unguarded, you're like, man, get out of here. But I'm going to leave the door unlocked, and I'm going to leave the windows cracked open. Eventually, that enemy soldier is thinking, man, that house that I had, that was real nice. I liked it a lot. So he goes and he gets seven of his buddies. He says, hey, this house is awesome. They've got everything we need to sleep, to eat, to drink, to watch television. It's amazing. So then this enemy soldier comes back with seven of his buddies, and guess what? The house is still unguarded. The doors are unlocked. The windows are cracked. So they come in and make themselves a home. How easy at that point is it to kick all eight of them out? Much more difficult. Jesus is saying here, if your house is unguarded, you can kick out one of these demons, but there's going to be more that come back in. You can't just clean your house one time and say, whew, I feel good about that. My doors are still unlocked. My windows are still open. Maybe there is something in your life that is destroying your soul this morning. And I'm not saying, hey, maybe there's a demon in your life. You're like, oh, we already got past that, so I'm good. Maybe there's a demonic force or a pursuit in your life that has demonic origins that is destroying your life this morning. Without inviting the Holy Spirit in to take up residence, you are sunk. And I don't know what that is. You're like, hey, you've been reading my mail? No, I don't, I don't know. You've been checking my internet history? I'm not... It could be a myriad of things, man. I don't know what that is. But I know we can't on our own just continue cleaning our house and, whew, I feel good about this, and not replacing it with the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, the enemy, demons, the devil is more cunning, more crafty. He's smarter. He's more powerful than any of us sitting in this room. And until we fill our lives with the Holy Spirit, until he takes up residence, it doesn't matter how good you look, the enemy still has access to your heart. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit or you're being filled with the power of the enemy. Those are the options. You can try self-help. You can try to be more devoted. You can try to get up earlier. You can try everything else on your own. You can try to be more serious. But until you're pursuing and repenting to the Holy Spirit and being filled with him, it's all going to be useless. So I would ask you this question. What windows are left open? And what doors are unlocked in your life? I can't go and shut those doors for you. I can't go and latch those windows. And guess what? Neither can you. Only the Holy Spirit can. Only through the power of Jesus Christ can we be filled with the presence of God himself. Pursue him. Look to him. Run after him. Put your faith in him. Be satisfied in him. Then we get to these last two verses right here. It's kind of strange. Sometimes people say amen in a really weird spot. And that's kind of what this woman is doing. But it's, uh, it's kind of like an odd insult. It's almost like a, like a weird your mama joke. This woman says, and he said, as he said these things, I, really, I was like, I don't really want to preach these verses this Sunday. Can I put them off to next week and maybe I'll be sick? Like, I don't know. But it says, as he said these things, so I had to put him in with this part of the narrative, okay? As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, 
Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Just so you know, I'm never going to say that to anybody here. (laughs) No matter how awesome I think your mom is. But he said, blessed rather, this is Jesus speaking back to her. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So how do you want to be more blessed than the mother of Jesus? You hear the word of God and you obey it. We see in Hebrews chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 6 that here in this spiritual army, we have all these pieces of of. Uh, a protection for us. We have uh, the helmet of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the belt of truth and our, our feet are shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But what's the one piece of offensive armor that we have? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's what we have. And if we don't know how to use that, then we are neglecting our responsibility in wielding it. He says, know the word of God and obey it. Think back to Luke chapter 4 when Jesus is tempted in the desert. Where does he quote from? John 3, 16? Something easy. Genesis 1, 1? You're like, man, what's next? Jesus wept. Where is that? No, he quotes from Deuteronomy. And most of us, if you started reading the Bible through the beginning of this year, you're already sunk by the time you get to Leviticus. So you never even make it to Deuteronomy, right? That's where you say amen. You're like, yeah, I, just, I couldn't do it, man. It's too much blood. It was too weird. It was too strange. Like, just give me some New Testament stuff. Uh, like, I read Philippians. That's short and sweet. But Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy because he wanted to defend his soul with the scriptures. Be ready to defend against the enemy. Know the word of God and keep it. And then you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Sunday morning is hearing the word of God. And I'm, man, I'm thrilled y'all are here this morning. I wish we had more people. Like I do. I'm not mad that we don't. I'm really glad y'all are here. But this is simply hearing the word of God. And we as a church body, that's why we have life groups and DNA groups. And that's why you have a copy of God's word. And that's why we spend time in prayer. And that's why we should be meditating on God's word. So we can figure out how the word then takes root in our hearts. If this morning for the last 34 minutes is the beginning and end of your interaction with the Holy Spirit through his word, that is insufficient. We must hear the word of God and then obey it. We must hear the word of God and then do it. How are you engaging with your neighbor? How are you engaging with your kids? Are you gathering them into the kingdom or are you scattering them away from the kingdom? That's obeying the word of God. In this cosmic battle, the difference in allegiance is obedience. In this cosmic battle, the difference in faithfulness, another word for allegiance. In this cosmic battle, you can tell if you have faith by looking at your obedience. You hear the word of God and you obey it. That's the word of Jesus. My question for you this morning is this. Do you really want to get rid of all the sin in your life? And here's where we can step back and examine, man, is there a force of the enemy, a a demonic power, or 
a selfishness that can only come from the whispers and the lies of the evil one. Do you want to get rid of all the sin in your life? Even the small ones. Even the secret ones. Even the ones that nobody knows about. Even the ones that only creep up every now and then. Do you want to walk in obedience or do you want to walk in sin? Do you want to walk in full disclosure or do you want to walk in privacy? Do you want to walk in light or do you want to walk in darkness? Do you want to walk in holiness or do you want to walk in selfishness? Because Jesus says, you are either for me or you are against me. I'm going to pray for us this morning. If you would, close your eyes, bow your heads. And if you would say, Michael, I'm struggling with something that I don't want to be struggling with. I don't, I don't know where this power, where the impetus of this force is coming from. But I want to be rid of a particular sin in my life, and I just can't fight it on my own. Would you just slip up your hand and say, I want to be pure. I want to be clean. I want to turn to the one who is trustworthy. Father, we pray this morning through the power of your spirit, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, that we would be made alive in him. That our church, this gathering of God's people, as we call ourselves South Point, even here in McDonough, I pray that you would move in and amongst us, that you would awaken us, give us life, give us joy, give us hope. I pray that you would give us freedom this morning that we would find our satisfaction in you and in you alone. Father, we look to the cross, and it is there that we find our significance, not in the things of this world, but because you say that you love us. We pray against the schemes and the power of the evil one. Even now, we pray for the revival of hearts. We pray for the salvation of souls. We pray that you would break down walls of arrogance and of selfishness and of lies that we've kept pent up inside of us for years. We pray that the light and the glory of Jesus Christ would shine even into the darkest corners of the hearts in this room. We know that when we confess our sin to you, you don't bring punishment to us. You don't bring anger at us. You don't neglect us anymore because all of those things were poured out on Jesus on the cross. But you offer forgiveness. You offer us life you offer us a deep abiding relationship with you. May that be true of us. 
We pray for those around us here in McDonough, those around us where we live, for my neighbors in my neighborhood, for our family members that maybe we live with or that we talk to often. We pray for our coworkers. Father, we pray against the power of the devil, but we also pray for courage, for boldness, for wisdom. We pray for an opportunity to speak life and light into death and darkness. Father, we pray that you would move, that you would bring revival here to this place. That you would revive our hearts first. That you would give us a fervor and a passion to see your glory made known here in this city. That we would plant other churches. That the waters of this horse trough would be filled and they would be stirred week after week with the salvation of many souls. Would you be merciful to us? Would you pour out your mercy yet again? We surrender to you. We look to you. We run to you. Our faith, our hope, our satisfaction is in Christ alone. May these things be true. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.